1: Welcome to the Mike Abadir Show. This is Mike Abadir, and Gino will be joining us in a moment. We kind of had to run to the microphones, a little bit behind schedule today, but I'm hoping that everybody's here hanging with us this Thursday pre-Preakness. So a lot to cover. We're going to have a great show today. We're going to be bringing on Nick Hines, the Sarge Ura, to give us his Preakness picks. We'll talk a little baseball, a little Zion Williamson, uh, NBA draft, and um, most of all, just to kind of break down uh, how I think Game of Thrones now completely sucks. So uh, that's ca- kind of the lowdown for this upcoming show. Uh, would be very curious to hear what you guys think about Game of Thrones, because I am so disappointed. There's actually an online uh, petition going around asking for a redo for season eight Unbelievable. They've received 600,000 petition signatures so far for people asking to redo Game of Thrones because they're so disappointed with it. I don't think that's going to happen, but that's what the people are asking for. So very curious to hear Gino's take on that as well, because he's been a little bit more forgiving with the show. That's crazy. Yeah, I figured you, you. Okay. well, because first of all, what are your thoughts of? Just yeah, give me the loadout, G.
2: Okay, well, you you have to first of all. There are a couple things that people are upset with. One, yes, the pacing of the first six seasons is is different than the than the pacing of seven, season seven, and season eight, right? I, I completely agree with that. But a lot of that has to do with one. Think about where everybody is. Just in the logistics of the story, everybody's all spread out. They're not interacting with each other. They it takes long periods of time just to even get next to each other now what's supposed to happen in season seven and eight when they all come together nothing they're just supposed to nothing's supposed to happen for just a season or two there's supposed to be no development in the characters you know that was the thing that i've seen people get upset about
1: okay fair enough but why not keep doing what made it great in the first place like i'll give you an example
2: i love it's hard when there's a time it's hard when there's a time element you know like because before there was no ending right? It's books with no ending. So it's, you, you can, you can go very slow because you still have the opportunity to kind of shape the ending. Now, whose decision was it to to end this season? Right? Did they want to, did they say, okay, we're done. We don't want to go any, any longer. Was it HBO's decision? Who knows? But, There are plenty of things that they could have spread out at the same pace of the show. Unfortunately, they just don't have those episodes. They don't have the
1: time to do that, right? Dude, they wasted so much time in this season alone on things that I'm kind of like, wow, the show's over already. Like, they didn't even get to anything. I don't feel like they really advanced the story much. There's been like two or three episodes this season where I felt that way. But let me give you like a specific example of something that bothers me. I really, really liked Varys' character. And one of the cool things about him was he was this kind of this all-knowing, super knowledgeable, has connections everywhere, has got all these birds everywhere, giving him information, little birdies or whatever the heck he called them. Where did they go? They all disappeared. Where did his knowledge go? He just like, all of a sudden, like he just went from like well, this a lot, of, a lot of to like them are getting gone. burnt by the dragon.
2: That's, you, well, you, you, you did make a good point. They're gone. A lot of those people are dead. Half of the people that he knew was- they were in battle or just go- are just gone, are gone or are there are people of them, that he's getting ready
1: there. But a lot of them were in the capital, weren't they? Like I thought he had connections everywhere around uh, Westeros. I mean, that's kind of what well, who, I thought, who, but who it, of it those, just seemed like they scripted away. People,
2: who of those people are alive? Didn't Cersei kill most of them? You know, Maybe, the, but a I mean, of the point ago? was
1: we never really got to see them anyway. We just saw him getting word of and being ahead of the curve and being ahead of everything. And then all of a sudden, like, you know, now and here's the funny thing. Also, <laughs> this kind of got me to chuckle a little bit. Speaking of Varys, like, let's just say somebody likes your girlfriend better than you. Let's say I like your girlfriend better than you. Like, are you gonna be that pissed off that you're going to kill me? You know what I mean? Like, like it's Jon Snow. This is uh, Danny's boyfriend. Well, it wasn't, it wasn't Jon
2: Snow. It was it was Varys. I mean, it was uh, it was Tyrion. It was yeah, was the Varys, one that turned him because in
1: because Varys. She's she's saying that he's he's a he's a traitor, right? You know that he yeah because he's saying you know I think John's the better candidate. You know it would make more sense if he's now saying like oh let's go back to Cersei. But when he's saying Jon Snow, I don't know. It's like maybe I'm nitpicky, but it just seems as a whole well, the show she, lost that, its lustre because that
2: that to her that's to her, to her that was the betrayal. You know, she asked the guy, the man that she thought she was in love with, not not to tell anyone and he immediately tells Sansa and then Sansa tells everyone obviously, because she, she doesn't like Danny. She knows that when other people find out they're going to support John's cause. So she, she's, I think figuring things out on her own and realizing that, you know what, like I'm a little, I'm a little smarter than than some of these people that have been advising me and giving me credit for. Cause I think that's one of the big things too, that people said, wow, it seemed like Danny just snapped kind of out of nowhere. I mean, I completely disagree. We've seen, we've seen this from season one when they, when they torched her brother right in front of her and she didn't mind. You know, we've seen her do this anytime she's been pushed. She's, she's always had to be talked out of going Mad Queen. You know, she's done a pretty good job of listening when they've told her. But every time Varys, well, in particularly Tyrion, told her to do something, it backfired. Even, even most recently in this episode, you know, when you see Jamie, he, he tried to get her to believe Jamie. That backfired. He turned, he turned, escaped and was going back to Circe, you know, so I can, I I understand a lot of the gripes, but I think people are just going a little too far with how, how upset they are because this was a really good show. We had great expectations for it, but this happens with like the Sopranos. This happens with Breaking Bad with really, really good shows. We expect them to keep going on this upward trajectory. And it's just really, it's impossible to do so when they've already set such a high bar for themselves.
1: Well, but I think that the finales, and, and you're right about people's reactions to those finales, same thing with Friends, same thing with uh, Seinfeld, even the comedies, you know? yeah, all of them. Yeah, like people are totally disappointed with it. But I think here's the reason why. It's like writers, maybe, I don't know if it's out of arrogance or out of what it is exactly, they almost get too cute and deviate from what made them mm-hmm. great in the first place. They get characters to be out of character, and... I don't know. Like there to me it just seems like there was a lot of things that would have been really cool to see. Like you mentioned John's sure. betrayal was was really the core of the issue and I completely agree. You know, Danny's beef should we be with John not being able to keep a him, secret. Why couldn't we see uh Sensa and his him family's reaction to that news? Yeah. Like 100%. I really wanted I to g- see that. I that agree. would have been really really cool. And instead it just jumps right to her being a big mouth and we don't even know yep. like how she received that information and Why was she such a big mouth right away? You'd think like she was bottling it up for a while and then couldn't keep it anymore. This was like it seemed we don't know the time in between, but it seemed like a snap of a finger later. And she's like blabbing her mouth. I don't know. The other thing, too, is, you, you know, you're talking about Danny. We shouldn't be surprised. You're right. We shouldn't be. But I did think once she heard the bells ringing. That, that, that yeah, that sure. Point, sure. That, she, was, that was the one she kept on going over and, and over, like up and down each row. It seemed like getting people when, that I mean, there had to be innocents up and down those streets. There weren't any of the bad guys, really. And, you know, I oh,
2: mean, she was she was getting like and, and that's why John was going because like there were moments when she's getting her own men, you know? Like she's getting their own truth. Uh-huh. Like that's what I, I always laugh because it's like you're telling me you can control the dragon that well to where you know exactly yeah, 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 there's totally. no little back totally. little backlash anywhere she's got coming off. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know. So so that that's impressive that was that was impressive. But um okay, I, so where do we I agree go from here in that um you, you know, I agree in that, that there are there are some moments missing and I, I heard a good point and I can't quite recall where I heard it. But it was something along the lines of, in this, it shouldn't really be this way in, in TV or even in movies, is that if you didn't know like, what was going on in the story, you wouldn't be able to follow it along very well in this season. They're missing too many big things that they just know that we know what happens, and they kind of assume and they move forward. Well and there's, there's been a couple pivotal scenes that are just not there. And that the one that you talked about, I think, is, is probably one of the biggest ones. You know, it, when we don't see them interacting and everybody realizing who John really is.
1: Yeah, no, that that was well said. Whoever it was that said that, I think that that makes a lot of sense. Um, you know, obviously we could talk about this so, so, I mean, I could go on for like hours. I actually have some notes even <laughs> on some of my thoughts because I had so many in my head. Woke up in the middle of the night and I'm like, I got to get that down. That's a really cool thought. But um, just for the sake of uh, being able to advance the show here a little bit where do we go from here what do you think happens next do you have any predictions clearly john's not happy with danny does is is that finally the the straw that breaks the camels back to their relationship entirely and did they get physical with each other and if they do i mean physical in a fighting way um and if they do who backs her who's on her side because it seems like her army is pretty small. It's pretty much the dragon, a couple Unsullied, that's and maybe key. Tyrion.
2: That's key, right? That that's exa- that's that the point I was going to bring up. How do they split? Who follows who? Who's backing who now? And you know, are they going to go with John? Is John going to try to rally the troops and come with me? Because that's not really John's. He doesn't want this, right? He's only really done that in, with one cause, really—to fight the—to fight the dead. So is he going to—is he going to go rally the troops to fight? Daenerys or is he going to try to get out of there quietly uh, you know who, and, uh, and what's up with Tyrion now right Tyrion's now seen Daenerys kill his brother sister and best friend even though he was the one that put Varys up to it um, w- what's his reaction like he can't be really loyal to her anymore after he's seen the mistake that he's just made. He just cost Varys his life. And, you know, the, the quote that Varys says at the very end, when he tells Varys, Tyrion tells Varys, "No, it was me. And Varys says, I hope I deserved it. I hope I was wrong. And yeah. he wasn't. <laughs> he was right. Yeah.
1: He was right. Yeah. Now, I've got a really, really crazy prediction for you. All right? You ready for this? Let's hear it. Jamie Lannister is still alive.
2: Okay, I've I've heard that one, that Jamie or Cersei, or we didn't see them go. I don't think Cersei is.
1: I I think Jamie is. And part of it is because, remember the prophecy was that she was going to be, at the end, killed by her younger brother. And I think they're like minutes apart, twins-wise. And I think sometimes those things can be taken literally. But I think in this one, it's going to be because he had her go down To you know, they thought they were going to be able to exit and get on the little buoy or the boat or whatever and be able to leave. He took her on that path. He took her down that path, and she dies. He lives. And uh, one of the reasons why I think that is because why wouldn't they just have finished him off with, uh, you know, in in the in the sword fight with uh, Greyjoy?
2: Yeah, or you know, it would have been. I think it was a little unsatisfying because we never got to see anyone kill Cersei. And we were expecting all along to get Arya to get some Arya Cersei interaction, to get a Danny Cersei interaction, maybe another Tyrion Cersei interaction. Some, but we didn't get that. That was definitely something that was very unsatisfying to me. Very, very unsatisfying. We just The hound
1: just let her go. Yeah. I thought the hound hated her guts. I know the mountain's right there, yeah. but still, I thought the hound would have just quick little sword to the stomach and boom done. All right, now let me let me kill the mountain.
2: How about Kyvern? Adios, Kyvern. Boom, yeah. just gonzo. <laughs> that was awesome. Oh,
1: yeah. That was really, that was really yeah. interesting, by the way, how they uh, ultimately have the Hound die by fire. Of course, not too surprising there. But uh, yeah, you're that right. To me how, was, can
2: they, how can they have Cersei as as,
1: die by, by boulders and rocks that are crumbling? Come on. Yeah, and
2: as far as, as, far as the unsatisfying with Circe, the one thing that I probably mentioned on this show over and over again was Clagane Bowl that I was excited for. And I thought that scene, even even from all the complaints I saw from people on social media all over, it seemed like most people agreed that that was a really cool, good ending, a satisfying ending for for The Hound and for Clegane Bowl too. Because that was, we didn't really expect a, a happy ending for The Hound, right? He's not one of those type of characters who's going to be living in a castle, drinking wine, you know, partying at the no, end. He was no. someone who, he had a goal, he had a task, he knew from from the very beginning. He said all along, "Brother, I'm coming for you. You know yep. how you know how it's going to end for you, brother." And he yep. had to. He he was able to complete his task. And the you mentioned the irony of going into the fire. Yeah, yeah. Uh,
1: let's take a quick commercial break, Gino. Um, like I told you, I mean, you and I could talk Game of Thrones all day. There's just so much packed there. Hopefully, some of the listeners are big Thrones fans too. Would love to hear who's disappointed, who's happy. With the season thus far, but we'll shift gears and talk some Preakness, baseball, Zion Williamson, NBA draft, et cetera. Stay with us; we will be right
2: back. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN.
0: This is the Mike Abadir Show. If you want to call in today, we can be reached at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to Mike at themikeabadirshow.com.
1: Now, back
0: to this week's program.
1: Welcome back, everyone. Mike and Gino here talking Game of Thrones Preakness. We'll be joined by the Sarge in a moment. Before we uh, leave the Game of Thrones conversation, Gino, I do want to make one uh, quick observation, and I think I have my facts correct on this, but you might know a little bit more about the subject matter. Am I correct to say that the uh, showrunners, David Benioff and D.B. Weiss, went off script or actually came up with their own script for this season because the books hadn't been written or released yet um by George R R Martin yeah. is, is so I'm almost thinking like you know once that happened they, they, he, is he, when he things went downhill he's
2: a yeah he's a consultant with them you know I think he he's he's part of a, and I don't know like exactly how much power he has or if if this is the the ending that he wanted you know and they're they're just kind of fig- filling in the blanks. But from what I've heard, I think that they had an ending. And maybe it was an ending that they came up with with him or on their own, and they've been working backwards from the ending. And that's kind of why we're seeing so many things that are, haven't been filled in. Because I think that they were like, okay, ending, here's where we were. Now we're going to try to fill in everything in between. And unfortunately, we're just not going to have enough time to hit and to, to dot all the, the, you know, the I's and cross all the T's.
1: Yeah, it's kind of funny because one of the things that um, had been out there was, you know, with regards to the online petition and stuff, it was saying that uh, D&D have proven themselves to be woefully incompetent. And I'm kind of like, well, wait a second. They had an award-winning show, one of the most popular shows in the history of television for six full and, seasons. Season seven slipped a little bit and eight, in my mind, slipped and do, majorly. Do you ever watch and, The Post? But don't you think that there's a there's like a – it's not like they all of a sudden started yeah, sucking. Do you ever watch the,
2: I think they had double do you ever, responsibilities. Yeah, do you, ever, do you ever watch the the post show when they t- when they talk yeah. about what happened yep. in the episode? Yep. Yeah, and you know, you when you hear them, it always it's funny. It's like I feel like most of the time if I had the director's com- if I had their commentary along with the episode, it would make the episode better. You know, because then every time I watch, there's always a couple things that I kind of have a question about, or I'm, I'm I'm wondering about, and then when you hear them explain it, it's it seems a lot better, right? And that that doesn't necessarily mean it makes the show better, but I can see in their head the ideas, and and they don't seem bad even when they're portrayed, but just the way that they've come across on on TV, they've been a little bit unfulfilling. Like for me, I would say that. I, if I was expecting a 10 this, this season and like a one is awful, I would, I'm literally like in, in a five, you know, I'm like in, in like the middle to, I'm like a little disappointed, but I'm still like the episode that we watched the other night, that was still an entertaining 80, 90 minutes of TV we're watching. We're just so invested in this show now because we've been in, in it for a decade or, you know, all these hours that we've invested that we find so many of these little plot holes that we want to dig out, but you know, that wasn't a bad, you know, Danny found out that, you know, like everyone's kind of against her now. And she finally did snap. And she, this, this prophecy of the dragon above King's landing that we've kind of seen in flashes and heard about for, for years comes to fruition. And we see her just lay King's landing down. (laughs) I mean, if, if you're just watching that as like a movie, in a standalone episode, you think it's great, but we just were expecting, you know, all of these different storylines to kind of come together, and, and a lot of them really haven't.
1: Yeah, yeah, and th- there's been some nitpicking going on, too, but it kind of makes sense, though, like, you know, and this is going back two episodes. Oh, yeah. You know, when, when Jon Snow didn't say bye to Ghost, like, why wouldn't you not say bye to your dog or Wolf I agree, I did not, you know, well, because maybe he's coming back. There's weird things like that where I'm kind of like, that wouldn't take any time, why, why would they do yeah. that, you know? And but, maybe he's um, coming back. You know, that's I guess uh, maybe he's going to see look, Ghost again. It, maybe. And uh, speaking of of seeing uh, characters again, are we going to see Karl Drogo come up uh, back from the dead? You think that's in line for next episode? I, there's just
2: been a lot of things I was expecting, and now how 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 many things can happen in this last? I know. You know huh? what? Not even hour and a half. Yeah. That's that's just like there's a lot that you still expect to happen. Like we're expecting showdowns between you know multiple characters. At least we, we did see the Jamie Searcy kinda maybe they tied up their, their ending. We saw the, the hound in, in the mountain. They tied up theirs. We know Arya's still out there. We saw at the end. And and I I did like what they what the showrunners had said. They said, you know, part of the episode when you're seeing all of the 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 fire and the debris and everybody running through the city we're showing you through the eyes of extras. But then we wanted to change it to put it through the eyes of Arya because, you know, we really wanted to have a character that you really care about and you could kind of see the panic on her face and that the, you, you did see it. Like it was really Epic. Um I just, what, what would be your prediction for me? I think it's going to be Sansa. I think Sansa and Tyrion, I'm expecting some combination of them sitting together.
1: I mean, couldn't that only happen if the, if the two biggies die?
2: Yeah. And I think they might die in battle against each other. I think John's gone. Like I think John might take Danny out, but but while doing so, he ends up like woo- like killing himself.
1: Well, and we do know that Targaryens don't have a problem killing each other. Um, as as no. she obviously did away with her brother. That's just a um, the, the prediction so, for me.
2: I, I think yeah. they'll be, and you know, Bran. I think uh, Bran will be around there. And I do think I I, I had somebody uh, kind of give me this, but I started talking and it led me to this i do think sir braun will save Tyrion in this episode at some point i think he'll okay. come out of nowhere and save him again
1: my i guess my prediction before we uh, shift uh topics here my prediction is that khal drogo does come back from the dead because i do believe that they give us these prophecies for for a reason i don't remember it verbatim but it was you know when the river's dry and the sun sets in the west, or some crazy thing like, that, or sun sets in the east, or something crazy like that. So, I think he comes back. She's so touched that she decides to step down because she doesn't want to rule. Uh, you know, people that really don't want her there, especially now that they hate her guts. She got a revenge, and that's the only thing that I think would touch her hard enough to walk away from the throne. And I think even though John keeps saying, whether it was the Night's Watch or anything since then, being King of the North, he didn't want it. I think he doesn't want this one. I think he gets this one as well because she steps aside. That's, that's what I think. And I think Jamie Lannister is alive and he ends up living his life happily ever after with uh, Brianna Tarth. Okay, that's my two cents. So yeah. we'll, we'll we'll obviously see yeah. next week. We're both probably completely wrong, and uh, they're gonna shank it even more. But we'll 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 find out on yeah. this, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. We'll, so let's we'll talk, let's, let's like, talk a little bit of a a Preakness talk here. You know, um, I know I mentioned it briefly when we had Todd Shrep on with us last week. You know, I was really really looking forward to the possibility of a rematch. Um, typically speaking, the Preakness is not a a race that uh, appeals to me historically from a wagering perspective, because when you go back and look year in year out, it's typically going to be the favorite that wins. With that said, la-
2: I think a lot of it has to do with the last 15, 20 years and just kind of the way horse racing has changed in general, right? Because horses just don't run back as often as they used to. It's not mm-hmm. the norm. So almost very few horses that run in the Kentucky Derby now, even even come back and run in the Preakness unless you win the Derby unless you or win unless it, yeah. you have, or unless you're like, you're, I love like Baffert does it. And I love when Baffert does it. Cause you kind of feel like, like Baffert or someone else who kind of feels like they might've had the best horse and gotten in trouble. And you, you kind of feel like, okay, I want to bring it back in a couple of weeks in the Preakness and maybe a smaller field. And I'm going to show that my horse probably the best out of this group. Those are you know generally horses that actually- you get coming back.
1: He actually wasn't very complimentary and he was even saying something along the lines of um, you know, s- somewhat uh, puzzled by the five to two. He didn't understand it. And I don't know if this kinda like well, yeah, trying to would, understate things game winner- playing a game or if that's uh because uh you know, he really isn't that high
2: on improbable. I think Game Winner would probably have fit that profile better this year with his horses because Game Winner had more of a trouble trip than Improbable did. Who didn't sure. run poorly, but I think when you just are looking back at the trips in particular as you project others could have run a little bit better and improbable just kind of, I think ran his, ran his race and it was a little flat. I think Bob was a little disappointed in him in, in the effort late, but uh, this uh, like on paper, he, I I think he deserves to be the lukewarm favorite. That doesn't mean he's a horse. I would bet, but just as far as the credentials and you look around, like he deserves to be the slight favorite in this group. I'd say.
1: Yeah, I think so. I think so. I do think that this year is, Definitely much more wide open than um than in, in recent years, you know look every t- every year I'm looking for you know who's this year's you know cloud computing or oxbow or you know shackleford you know typically, like I said, if you go back and look, usually the favorite wins, and if it's not the favorite, it's a second favorite that that's kind of been the case, like you said, you know maybe the last twenty years or whatnot, and you've had a lot of horses that have won the Kentucky Derby come back around and win it. The second uh, jewel of the Triple Crown races, only to fall flat in the Belmont up until recent years with uh, Pharaoh and Justify. But that's typically been the intrigue coming into this race, right? Where are we going to see a, uh, a a Triple Crown threat? I think this year it's what kind of long shots can I play? That's how I'm looking yeah, at we it could, from a wagering ben perspective. Yeah. And may- maybe it's somebody like, like you know, uh, speaking of Oxbow, which I mentioned a minute ago. Dwayne Lucas with a with a you know uh, a long shot like Market King or something like that. I mean, I'm going to go back and look through these. I know you've already made your final selection. I have a yeah. Remember Market King was the horse that you that I liked start? on the
2: undercard. Remember Market King was the horse that Emily and I had talked about, and yep. he ended up scratching on the uh, yep. on the undercard. He never got a chance to run. But the issue is with Market King. Um, I think some of the reason why we both had liked him was that he was cutting back. And I think that was a big positive that he was going a mile and I worry that this might be a little far for him. And he, but for, as far as a long shot is concerned, he'll probably be out front and you'll get a good run for your money and he'll try to, you know, sit a good trip close up to the pace. He's, he's an interesting horse. And uh, we'll have Nick Hines joining us in, in any second now, just uh, spoke to the Sarge. So he'll be calling in just a second. We'll get his thoughts. But I, I think what's, what's fun about what happened over the last couple of weeks, Mike, with the DQ and everybody discussing it, whether you agree with it, whether you disagree with it, whatever the reasons back and forth, a lot of people know the name War of Will right now. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of people, lot sure of people know the name Maximum Security right now. A lot of people know the name Country House right now. And so there is a little bit of interest. There's, let's say there's a lot more interest in this race because of what happened than if we had a race just a regular race and the dirt and then the winner didn't show up because that's usually when everybody goes, ah, okay, there's no derby winner. Now uh, it doesn't happen often. It's only happened a few times when they've gotten injured. But if we had a race like that normally where the top couple horses don't come back, at least we have a horse like war of will, where people are going, okay, he got in trouble. Let's see what happens next from him. I'm, I'm hoping win or lose that he runs a good race just to make the debate go on more As people say, "See, I told you." War of Will could have won that race if he didn't get in trouble. You know, I I think that would be just—it sure will for uh, for our keep the debate alive.
1: That's for sure. If that happens, yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. So he's a horse you have to kind of start with, right? Like from the inside again. He's probably going to be forwardly placed. I think he's probably going to be sitting. I don't think he's going to be on the lead, but I think you have to start with him. But when you look at, at the rest of the field, on paper, it looks like there's a pretty good amount of speed. Right? You have Warriors Charge, you, you think, will be forwardly placed. Market King is going to be in the mix. Always Mining won't be far out of it. Bodie Express, he's not one who necessarily is slow. He has some pressing speed also. And then another twist of fate, wouldn't be shocked to see him up in the mix. So there might be five or six horses that are all within a length or two early on or trying to get position early on, and that could make this, this pace go pretty quick. And that'll kind of, I think, be... The way that I handicap this race and, and the way that I'm looking for horses to play, based on okay, I think it's going to be horses that are going to be sitting in the middle to the back of the pack here.
1: Yeah, I haven't had much of a chance to watch uh, Pimlico so far, but I'd like to go back and watch some races and look at the charts and see how the speed's holding up. Has it been setting up fairly for uh, closers and that and that type of thing? Let's uh, let's get. I'll tell you, um, Sarge's take though um, on, on the Preakness and oh, nice. bring him into the discussion. Here he is, Sarge. Good afternoon, sir. Damn hut.
3: Ura, Gentlemen. <laughs> Gino, Gino was just on the precipice of, of trying to expound on a point. So I was listening into the show and Gino was right there on the edge. Gino.
2: Oh, no. What were you about I was, to I, say? It's Perfect. It was just a little tease. I was just going to say that I, I'm a fan of the undercard races a little more this year than I have been in, in previous years. I think that generally, as Mike was mentioning, the way that the Preakness is set up, the Preakness undercard kind of gets the short end of the stick because so many of the good horses mm. will run in the big races on Oaks and Derby weekend that they kind of mm. don't come back two weeks later. They'll usually come back again on that Belmont weekend and run in some of those undercard races. But I think this year we have some new faces and I think there's some quality races in the undercard on Friday and on Saturday. So not, not a, some races where I'd shy away, but let, let's let focus in on the big ones, Sarge, while we have you. It's been uh, quite a debate over the last few weeks. Huh? I mean, there, there are some very smart people that I respect that are just on both sides of the, should it have been a DQ? Should it have not been a DQ? Nonetheless, it's, it is a little, I don't want to say cool, but it's, it's, it's a little different to have horse racing, the um, kind of in the mainstream and be discussed and to hear it be talked about now for a couple of weeks after the result of a, of a race like this.
3: Yeah, I guess, I guess for all intents and purposes, you know, it's, the the old, you know, there's no such thing as bad publicity. I guess there's a there's a line in the sand that you have to draw for that, but uh, for all for what it's concerned, as far as the game, because the fact that we're we're trying to be relevant day in and day out, you know, you, you talk about um, you know the situation, if it will, and Luis is getting a 15 boot suspension, which I I personally thought was a bit harsh. Uh, there was an article that was yeah. put out. And they had actually quoted me, along with Gary Stevens, uh, essentially saying that we were opining blank. Look, if I'm on the same page as Gary Stevens, a Hall of Fame rider, when it pertains to a jockey and a suspension, I would have to say that I'm I'm probably on the right side of the fence there. But that wasn't the purpose of my quote. The bottom line is the fact that, you know, when you watch that particular race, you watch the derby, I didn't see any intentional movement there on his behalf. But what do no. you have to consider is with the glare of the lights, in addition to you had puddles inside the 3 eight marker, added the fact that you had a horse that didn't run with a shadow roll and didn't run with blinkers. So, you know, maximum security was wide open as far as equipment's concerned. So, you know, he had a right to do what he did. Um, did he deserve to come down You know, after thinking about it 24 hours after the Derby? Okay but it's just frustrating that the best horse got taken down and it's frustrating the country house doesn't get his due you know he doesn't get his due based on the fact that he is the Kentucky Derby winner we saw this with dancers Image and forward past back in 1968 or whatever due to a drug violation so frustrating
1: it, uh, sarge you mentioned something in terms of intent from uh, saias's part is that a key part of the criteria i mean what would couldn't that be replaced by extreme recklessness or negligence or that type of thing um, as a writer as well to contribute to fifteen days?
3: I, I you know what I think. Uh, you know he did have some some other offenses, but I, yeah. I don't think that they should play into the actual infraction or the you know the fifteen day suspension. I mean the reality is he already got fined one hundred eighty thousand I mean, dollars. You know he made yeah. he made a couple hundred bucks from the Derby Mount and. You know, in light of what the stewards and how it was handled, I personally, as I had mentioned in my tweet and in my conversations, I felt that it was a knee-jerk reaction. They were trying to protect themselves, because if this is going to go to legal, they've already denied the opportunity to appeal, so it's going to go to the court, which they may or may not throw it out. I mean, if you draw back the clock, when tight spot, it's all great to me, this is back in the early 90s, um, they reversed the decision. Uh, and so there was some precedent there. Now, now granted, there've been other cases in between, and I know this is the world's most famous nostalgic race. But at the end of the day, the fact that they gave him a 15-day suspension, I think for the stewards, I think it was for more so to protect themselves than actually just saying, "Hey, you, uh, you did a bad job here, and shame on you." So I'm glad that he's appealing his 15 days. I personally don't think he deserves that.
1: I agree with you, Sarge. Let's take a really quick commercial break, and then we'll come back and dissect some of these cards on Friday and Saturday, or, you know, the two big cards on Friday and Saturday. Stay with us. We will be right back with TVG's Sarge.
2: Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America
0: channel. Time 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Sports Channel. Streaming live, the leader in Internet Talk Radio, VoiceAmerica.com. This is the Mike Abadir Show. If you want to call in today, we can be reached at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to Mike
1: at show.com Now, back to this week's program. Welcome back, everyone. We are with Nick Hines, better known as Sarge from TVG, talking Preakness Weekend. Sarge, let's um, let's break things down a little bit. Which day do you like better overall, from a wagering perspective, Friday or Saturday?
3: Well, I, I think Saturday's I think Saturday's a great day. Uh, you know, based on the fact you've got a two million dollar guaranteed pick four, which which I think is huge, and I, I definitely feel that that actually is going to be, I believe, race ten on Saturday. The gallery day three the Philly Marist drilled it upward. And, and I like a horse that's uh, coming in from Europe by the name of I'm So Fancy for Arno Delacour, who, you know, as far as his strengths, his strengths may not be horses that arrive uh, on stateside in their first start, but uh, he's been given plenty of time to allow this uh, daughter, Raji, to uh, acclimate. And, you know, her, her distance races uh, across the pond to a wheel and cura, they've actually been, you know, further. But I think as far as her style... And looking at the field she's seven to two on the morning line i uh, I actually like her quite a bit. she's seven to two to begin so I think that that old stakes pick four for two million. Wow I and mean, we talked to you know you guys touched on the preakness field it uh, probably will probably go favorite, but I think War will if you could lock in odds if you if you're playing I don't know what books you play with, but if you can lock in more of will at four to one, I suggest you do it now if that's your horse because I think by come post time I think Ward Will's gonna be closer to five to two. I'd agree completely. Yeah. Um, no, and that's that's a great that way to end mind, the pick four. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well exactly. I mean, if you're going to be single, but I, you know, I do think that the the is you have to kinda of wave the options, you know, and I, I don't want to kinda of get ahead of myself, but I really do like no. the stakes pick four. I think the value's there. Um my concerns with with Ward will Uh, the trip that he had in the Derby and the effort that he put out. Was it too much of an effort? You know, Mark Cassie, the last five years when he's brought horses back in two weeks off two weeks rest, he wins at 18%. However, uh, he's only 12% with route horses. So, you know, how does that weigh in? I mean, the difference between 20% and 18% is, you know, a C to an A minus, right? That's kind of the way I look at it. so I'm just, I'm skeptical of the price. Um, you know, i am not a huge fan of the Rainbow Six, which begins in race eight, but it might be something that you could delve in because of field size. But I still think this Preakness field, it's got so many zigs and zags to it. You guys touched on the speed as far as the race is concerned. You know, I, I kind of map it out like this. I, I think they're going to let War of Will try to roll away from there, and everything's contingent upon how well he breaks in the gate. But Warrior's Charge, I think point, point on point, I think he's the fastest horse. Out of there, but uh, improbable, how do they take impact? back? I think Mike Smith's going to have him on the yeah. engine as well. So I, I do see that, that a race could map out as a speed-type race, which doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to back up. But I, I would look for, you know, horses that are adding blinkers. There's two horses adding blinkers in this race, and Bourbon War, and Win-Win-Win. And, and I actually like Win-Win-Win. I don't like seeing blinkers added to a horse that, although early on in his career he showed speed, but he's become kind of a late closer. I kind of don't like that because the fact that, you know, maybe that's his style. That's what he wants. And you take him
2: out of that style when you add blinkers, sometimes it gets him too keen. And then Bourbon Wars, the other one you talked about, who he's, he's interesting in that we see how the Florida Derby has come back so far and whether or right. not maximum security should have been disqualified He ran his eyeballs out. We can all agree on that in the Kentucky Mm -hmm. Derby. Code of Honor came out of that race and ran well. Bodie Express didn't run poorly. He was up in the mix before he got bumped around a little bit, too. That race has come back pretty live. Bourbon War was under 3-1 to in that race, coming off his good effort in the Fountain of Youth. And that was a race where he just was chasing lone speed and didn't really get a whole lot of pace to, to close into. So he might be an interesting prospect that kind of fits what you're saying. With the Blinkers, maybe he doesn't have to be so far back. And he might end up working himself out a nice trip.
3: Well, he does act like and I mean, as you know, I mean, you know, you've been handicapping a very long time. You know how the tappets can be. They've got their idiosyncrasies and Mm -hmm. they think a lot. And I think in Bourbon War's case, you know, Mark Henney, you know, he's 11% on the year and he's just been kind of one of those steady-eddy trainers. You know, he trained for Team Valor back in the day when he took over privately. He's a former uh, Lucas student. But he's not, a real aggressive training type, uh, trainer. I mean, I think if that were the case, he would have probably ended up running in the Kentucky Derby. So I get the impression that this was a target for him. And I really feel that the, the kind of the pace flow of this race will benefit him because I, I, I loved him in the fountain of youth. You know, I, I, I placed a, you know, a decent wager on him that day and he would have been a $10 winner. But uh, then he came back, and I think he just reacted on shoot. So I applaud the fact that he's given him more time. We look at the field, We think value? I think Bourbon War is the value. Plus, you get to Irad Ortiz Jr. back in the irons, and I'm sure that he had options. I mean, if if you kind of look through it, not saying that he would have ridden improbable back, because I'm sure Baffert made that change. You know, he went to his money man. But, you know, Irad, I'm sure, would have had other options in that spot, and he's sticking with a horse that he's had good
2: success with, I think. You play, play this race vertically. Another
3: point I want to make is that if you like a horse, some say you had a horse in the derby that's in this race. There are four total of the 13. Uh, don't get off the wagon. You know, this happened to me back when looking at Lucky through the rail in the derby. I was all in, and then when the Preakness came along, I switched off and went to Super Saver thinking, okay, we might have a triple crown opportunity. Possibly 12 grand because everything I had in the Supers, went to super say when i took away from looking at lucky so there's the old saying dance with the girl that took you there if you like a horse like the horse unless there's something totally negative about them and you don't like the sheep move or physically don't look right don't don't get off the train because you could be getting off the money train if you're not careful
1: nick speaking of supers i always have to ask you when you come on the show do you have a (laughs) super sarge fecta in the uh, preakness
3: I will put one together. You know, the One thing that I love about the fact that, you know, the Preakness does, they do a Pimlico, they don't do a Churchill. You can play it for $0.10. Cents. Yep. Yeah. You know, you know in, some eyes, in some eyes, it would say, oh, well, that saturates the bet. The truth is, 13-horse field, I don't understand in a derby. we've got a 19, 20-horse field. Why can't you put at least a $0.50 superfector out there? I can guarantee that the pool size would increase probably 150% if they were to do
2: that. But in this case, I get more I people to ask person, me about that every year than anything. Everyone's asking right. me why. People would love right. it. They punch r- random ones, quick picks. I mean, everybody would right. play that a bunch of times. Well, they do allow they do allow for fifty
3: cent trifectas in the derby, so I don't I don't understand why they wouldn't allow for a ten cent superfecta. I think it's it is a great bet. I, I think for the for the Preakness, for me, uh, my goal is to find that one key horse. And I, I'm going to trust in Warren Will. You know, I've become a fan of the horse. You know, I do have my reservations about him coming back in two weeks off a hard effort, off an effort in which he supposedly strained a muscle in the Louisiana Derby. But he showed me enough on the bridle. He's, he's going to have to learn to relax a little bit, but he showed me enough on the bridle that there was enough there in the Derby. And even after he kind of got in the wipeout situation inside the, uh, the 516s, I like the fact that he still almost got back on terms of maximum security that was turned away. So it's not like he completely shut it down. But at the same time, the fact that he jumped back into the bridle and tried to reengage, it does concern me a little bit. But, but the horse looked fantastic. And as you said, you know, a few moments ago, Gino, I mean, this would be, uh, let's call it, you know, it would be poetic justice if he were to win this particular race and would open up for the conversation and might make for a better conversation down the road. Say for example, he comes back into Belmont, wins the Belmont. Because I think at this stage of the game, my favorite 3 year out there, period, is Tacitus. I've become a huge fan. I thought if he came back in the Preakness, he was going to be my bet. He made three or four different moves in the Derby. I there are other horses that had trouble, but you know, and I, I appreciate Belmont taking care of Tacitus, knowing it's a long summer. But uh, Word well I think this is his opportunity, his time to shine. If he's going to do it, it's going to be Saturday. That's just my two cents.
1: So you'll be building your uh, super tickets around a war of will. That's good stuff there. Uh, right. Hey, Sarge, I have a quick question for you, and I think you're the appropriate person to ask this of because you've got ties to Golden Gate as well. I know you run some of your own horses, both north and south, and you probably have a little bit of a relationship with uh, Blaine Wright. Was there any possibility yes. that J.J. J. Hernandez was he going to get this mount back? Or is it one of those things where once you get to that level, you can't risk it and you got to go with Ortiz?
3: I think if it was left up to blame, right entirely, I think you would see uh, Juan Hernandez on that horse. But, you know, owners, uh, you know, they're the ones that pay the bills on these horses. And, uh, you know, they look at it on the, on the grand stage, on the big stage. You know, it all has to, it really comes down to their personalities. And in, in Peter Redekop, uh, he's had great success. He's invested a lot of money uh in the sport, you know, buying young horses, buying horses privately. But but I, I think that if it were up to Blaine Wright, it would have been Juan Hernandez all alone, you know, even in the Lexington. The, the fact that Javier Castellano is, is not back aboard, you know, nobody's really talked about that. I mean he he's on Warrior's charge and what Warrior's Charge, what's he done? All he's done is, is basically won an entry level allowance and he's only had twenty one mounts uh you know over the course of the last past calendar year for Brad Cox. So I'm going to try not to read into that too much because I really felt that if Javier liked what he felt and had in the Lexington, that horse just simply doesn't like to be inside of horses. So not to say that Jose Ortiz is is a bad option. I think he's a great option. But remember, Jose Ortiz was removed off of improbable. Okay? I know it's Bob Baffer. I know it's money Mike Smith. But the fact that Javier is not back on another twist of fate, at that point, that's where Redakop should have just probably and I'm just speculating here, could have easily told Blaine, hey, you know what? Just go back to Warren. I'm tired of these games. And that's what happens a lot of times when you get those big league riders because they, you know, Blaine Wright, he's got a big enough stable for the left coast, but he's not a nationwide trainer. So not a lot of people knew him. He wins, obviously does a good job, but for me, when you look at values, look at morning line, if one of the men run another twist of fate, he'd probably be ten to one or better he got our zero T's and six to one. He's got a lot to prove. He's a near greatest state winner. Where his charge is only an entry level allowance winner. So I, I'm kind of like, oh, okay. I mean, how many years? 12 to one? So the point that he's on a horse that's twice the odds of another twist of fate makes me wonder a little bit. That's yeah,
1: all. no, no, no doubt there. Sarge, I hate to cut you off, but we're up against the clock here. And, uh, Want to thank you for coming on with us. Hope everyone has a tremendous Preakness weekend. And I'll be sending out selections on Twitter. I'm sure Gino and Sarge will as well. Have a great sports weekend, everyone.